Leslie Chesson opens a box inside her office at Isoforensics, a Salt Lake City-based company that uses science to fight crime. She runs her fingers along a series of manila envelopes and pulls one out. It's bulging. That one definitely has hair in it. Human hair. Chesson, a senior scientist at the company, reaches into the envelope and pulls out a mass of brunette hair. Her colleague, Luciano Valenzuela, looks to see where it came from. It's hair from Shawnee. Shawnee, Oklahoma. Chesson and Valenzuela have envelopes and vials stuffed with hair from not only all over the U.S. Louisiana, Arkansas, Oklahoma, But Texas, from all over the world. Guatemala, Japan, Newfoundland. They've actually got hair from every continent, even Antarctica. And they're using all this hair from regular, everyday people to perfect a technique to help solve murder cases. Let me explain. Both Chesson and Valenzuela were mentored by the same man at the University of Utah, Jim Elringer. I'm trained as a plant biologist. But his interests go well beyond plants. About a decade ago, Elringer got curious about animals and whether he could develop a new technique for addressing a question wildlife biologists commonly ask. Where do animals eat and drink, and does the location of their watering hole, say, change over time? Now, I could find out by being in the field every single minute of the day, or I can let nature do the recording for me. Elringer went for the second option. You see, nature does record what an animal eats and drinks in its tissues. That's because every chemical element comes in different flavors. Take the hydrogen and oxygen that make up water, H2O. There's lighter hydrogen and oxygen and heavier hydrogen and oxygen. These different flavors, or isotopes, are found in different combinations depending on where the water comes from. And those combinations get laid down in the growing tissues of the animals that drink them, tissues like hair. The hair becomes a linear tape recorder. So it tells us a little story about the history of what an animal was eating or drinking. Elringer suspected the same thing would apply to humans and our hair. So he and his colleagues collected hair from local barber shops across the U.S. to test a hypothesis, that it was possible to tell where hair came from based on an analysis of the hydrogen and oxygen in the local water supply. Another collaborator on this project, a geologist at the University of Utah named Tori Serling, says the vast majority of the water in our diet is local. People often say, well, oh, I don't drink water, I drink Coke. Well, then I'll ask you, where was the Coke or the Pepsi bottled? In Salt Lake City, it's bottled in Salt Lake City, and they use Salt Lake City water. Sure enough, the scientists found that hair and water look different in different parts of the U.S., they can display that variation on a map with rainbow colors. Luciano Valenzuela shows it to me. It looks like the temperature maps that you see during the news that will show you where it's hot and where it's cold. Yeah, it's red in Texas and Florida, and then it gets yellow in the Midwest, and then blue in Montana and Wyoming and Idaho. That's what it looks like. Which means that if you examine a single strand of hair and compare it to a map like this, you get a pretty good idea of where someone was when that hair grew. And not only that, but if you look at how the isotopes change along the length of the hair, you can figure out if someone has traveled. So our hair acts like a timeline, recording where each of us has been and when we've been there. Now, at about the same time that the Utah scientists were developing this technique, a team in the UK was working on the same approach. And early on, it was clear this tool could be valuable in solving crimes. 
I got approached uh, for the first time in 2004 by a police officer. Wolfram Meyer Augenstein is a chemist at the James Hutton Institute in Scotland. He's examined the isotopic composition of hair and water in Europe and the Middle East, and he's used that information to help police in the UK, United Arab Emirates, and elsewhere with about a dozen murder cases. He's not at liberty to talk about most of them, but in one case he can discuss, a man was found dead in Wales several years ago. The man appeared to be Asian, but police didn't know where he came from or when he entered the UK. The man's hair was almost six inches long. Meyer Augenstein says that was long enough to determine where the man had lived in the year before he died. The person lived in the Ukraine for three months, moved then to Germany for six and a half months, and then to the United Kingdom prior to his uh, untimely death. The police knew of an organized crime gang that was shuttling illegal Vietnamese immigrants into Britain via Ukraine and Germany. The police suspected the murder victim had been smuggled into the UK by that gang. Once the clue from the hair analysis had confirmed that suspicion, the other bits of the puzzle came together. The police learned that the man was originally from Vietnam and had been killed in a dispute over marijuana. John House is in charge of the Criminal Investigative Division at the Royal Newfoundland Constabulary in Canada. He's used this type of forensic analysis of hair and says it can offer a starting point for murder cases that would otherwise go cold fast. In any homicide investigation, knowing who the victim is is critical. Who they associate with, where they've been, Without that information, we're really at a standstill. And by examining hair in this way, scientists can learn other things about a person's diet, whether someone was a vegetarian or vegan, preferred fish to chicken or beef, or had gone through a sustained period of starvation. All of these details might prove helpful in identifying a murder victim. Back in Salt Lake City, Luciano Valenzuela pulverizes a hair sample. And now we check the container and see how we did. It's one of the first steps the staff here at Isoforensics uses to analyze hair isotopes. The company gets requests from law enforcement agencies once or twice a month, and the demand is growing. And the scientists continue to refine the technique by gathering more hair from other parts of the world. Here's Leslie Chesson again. Obviously, everywhere we go and every time we get a chance, we continue to collect samples. She looks over at Valenzuela, who's from Argentina. Luciano, maybe we should send you home for Christmas and send you on a collecting trip. <laughs> that chance will come soon enough. He returns to Argentina next year to start his own lab. His goal? To create a detailed map of the invisible variations in hair and water across his own country. For Nova and the World, I'm Ari Daniel Shapiro, Salt Lake City.